Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. And I am so excited to embark on this adventure with all of our listeners and special guests. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds in the industry. From seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Hi, everybody. What a special treat. We are here with Simon Jones. Simon is founder and CEO of Naturescapes. But more importantly, Simon is my work husband with the Uplift Project. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here, Simon. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so why did I call you my work husband? What does that even mean? Well, you and I, I guess, co-birthed uplift program in North Carolina and uh, put it all together. So we're stuck together for better or for worse for the next however many years uplift lasts. Oh, that's so sweet. Those are our vows right there said publicly. I love it. Um, it's it's really fun um, working with you, Simon. You know, you and I have different uh, styles and different uh, skills. I mean, I think it's really the the the, the best way a marriage should be. Um, but anyway, get let's get on to your experience in the tourism industry. You have so much cool, badass, amazing, <laughs> interesting experience in the tour, tourism industry. So tell us about that and tell us about Naturescapes after you tell us about your history. Okay. All right. Well, um, I mean, I guess I kind of got started in the in the tourism industry in the very broad sense in terms of attractions because I I grew up in a zoo in England, um, so from oh, wait you grew up in a zoo, I did yeah Whipsnade Zoo which is about an hour's drive north of London. Were um, you how big was your enclosure? Uh, smaller than the than the rhinos or the elephants or even. The tigers actually had a bigger enclosure than we did, thinking about it. Okay, there's got to be more to this story. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yes, I grew up in on the edge of a zoo. It's 500-acre zoo, and we were about 100 yards from lions and 100 yards from, well, bordering the Pear David deer, which is a large Indian deer, um, kind of tucked away in the back of the zoo. Uh, my... The reason we ended up being an exhibit, and literally some points we were, we had a six-foot fence around our our uh, enclosure, and um, we were kind of t- tucked back, like there was a wood between us and the main traffic area where people were. But when it got busy, even though there was a sign that said no entry into the the drive, the road going down there, we'd get a bunch of people just turning up and thinking it was the hippo house, which was the next one down or having a picnic on our, in the, on the garden and all sorts of um, 
fun stuff. But yeah, my my dad was a vet at Whipsnade Zoo and then ended up running London and Whipsnade Zoo, which are sister zoos. So I grew up with essentially being involved in people management and attractions and um, and all of that. And then um, I also did a little bit after school in England, took a year off and was a safari guide in Kenya and Tanzania for a, a little bit. And then really started, I'd say, my, my tourism career when I, I started working for Mickey Sager at the Conservation Fund here in North Carolina and met Miss Carol Klein here. And we were supporting community tourism uh, development and uh, other tourism planning in in and around um, the Palmetto Pear Tree Preserve, which is down on the eastern North Carolina. So that's kind of my start in tourism. And since then, I have created a couple of companies, but my most recent one in sept in uh, in um, 2019 started Naturescapes, which is focused on essentially leveraging the tools for tourism um, for communities and um, landscapes, rural landscapes, protected landscapes uh, here in North Carolina and around the world. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That. Okay. And you. And just some things you're you're uh, leaving out of your history is um, you you ended up going to D.C. to get your master's. Uh, in uh, tourism administration uh, with a concentration in sustainable destination management. All those words are very important. And you were at GW, George Washington University in their school of business. And you and I got to keep in touch during that time. And I remember bringing up classes, um, different universities where I worked. Um, I was just really interested in uh, Solomar International, which was one of the companies that you had alluded to earlier and and all of the work that you are doing uh, around the world for different ministries of tourism we don't have ministry like we don't have a ministry of tourism in the US it's very decentralized um, so you were running around the world uh, getting lots of different tourism uh, experience uh, development uh, ecotourism business uh, management um, but but really like, when it comes down to it, the rural context, there's so many different similarities. Wait, that didn't make sense. Different. So there's so many similarities um, with international context and the context that, you know, we're now working in within North Carolina. Yeah, very true. It's, um, it's surprising. I mean, you can take a totally different culture, totally different place and context. And ultimately, there's a a fairly small number of kind of building blocks for for tourism that um, every place needs. Now, some might be further ahead on one or another, or you know, big destinations. Obviously, are probably further ahead on all of them. But um, all of those challenges and needs are are quite similar in terms of the the approach and the the way often they're solved. You know, with some tweaks here and there, obviously. Um, so yeah, over the last 20 years, essentially we've been developing these tools and approaches to how to solve this kind of suite of different issues and opportunities within the tourism sector. Nice, very nice. Um, so, you know, usually we ask the, uh, what, what was a key interaction that 
got you into tourism, but really like your key interaction was being born into the family <laughs> that you were born into. The first interaction, yeah, being born. <laughs> right, it was like taking um, a breath in your family. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, the that that interaction and then, you know, growing up where I grew up is, is probably a major influence in getting me into the tourism sector. Um, I think working with the Conservation Fund and, and Mickey Sager, who was running the Resourceful Communities program um, there, was a big influence as well, as well as some of that kind of international side in terms of being in the tourism sector in Kenya and Tanzania and experiencing kind of how that all worked and almost the from that side, more of the operations, you know, how you package the travel together and how it how it all kind of comes together from the a business and operational side of things so each of those interactions i think kind of built on each other probably yeah they really do and you know you you've mentioned mickey i mean mickey sager with uh resourceful communities program the conservation fund amazing amazing person who's done so much for the state um you and i got to work with mickey um becky anderson who founded mm -hmm. handmade in america um you know, and, and many other community and economic development greats in the state, you and I were sort of raised uh, professionally working with these folks and learning from them. Um, what, what were some of the things that you learned back in the day with Mickey and, and with, you know, Resourceful Communities Program um, that you absolutely wanted to make sure we're a part of Uplift now, the work we're doing now? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot, quite frankly, but um, some of the major pieces that I guess kind of stuck with me as as we kind of progressed, because that was, I know, almost 20 years ago, now we're old, I guess, <laughs> um, was that essentially taking your time to have conversations with people and bring people together in a destination. You know, in that case, there was the Palmetto Prayer Tree Preserve and the folks that lived in the county, in Tyrrell County and uh, around the preserve, but bringing people together, often different backgrounds and different interests, different needs, but taking the time to have those conversations to convene and, um, and essentially go through a process of identifying, okay, what do we have? What do we need? Where do we want to go? What, are, what is our vision for tourism? And, and what are the steps to get there? What are our challenges? How do we address those? But going through it as that kind of collective process and not in isolation, not in, in silos um, and the, the kind of steps and components of, of putting all of that together um, was a huge takeaway, I guess, working with Mickey down and, and yourself and, and others um, down there. And then the, the fact that also, you know, rural, rural regions have, um, have real challenges, historic access, connectivity, you know, a number of different different pieces that, as we alluded to earlier, are actually quite similar wherever you are in the world um, and and ways of of addressing those. You know, some of those are like you can't, you can't get closer to an urban hub. Obviously, you can't change the access issue, but you can facilitate it in certain certain ways or um, look for certain markets that don't mind maybe traveling a little further, that kind of thing. So, Well, and there's also access um, from the standpoint of not everyone in a community has access to the same 
maybe resources or information. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah, and the information is a huge part. Is like often they just don't know, right? Don't know. They don't know. Yeah. So and so is going on. Right, or they don't have access to certain connections um, who may be interested in learning more or funding something that they're uh, trying to start, but they don't have access to that network. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so access, yeah, I, I, that's that's one of the takeaways I learned with um, with you know back back then. Um, um, and also, you know, you were talking about bringing the community together. It matters where that coming together happens. Because mm -hmm. not everybody's going to be comfortable at, you know, X location in a community. Um, and so community meetings sometimes don't always happen at the town hall or right. at yeah. the fire station or at the church or at the school. Like sometimes those locations may not um you know, have the best associations. And so, you know, being creative and, and really understanding where to, to have these community gatherings is something I remember. Yeah. And each place is different, you know, different cultures kind of have mm -hmm. their, their locations for where conversations can happen. And those can be different cultures within a community, you know, within a county, within the area or a different country. But, um, you know, that, that kind of, Again, it comes back to talking to folks and bringing people together and, and probably and multiple meetings in a way of, you know, having place, having meetings in places that are comfortable for for certain folks or more accessible for, for mm -hmm. folks. And then, you know, gradually, maybe they can be all melded together in different different meetings and different places. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was working in in Mali in West Africa and in the, with the Dogon community, which is literally on the way to Timbuktu. And the, it's a very dry, very arid area along this escarpment. And there's very sacred sites that no one who, if people who aren't from that community, uh, you know, should not go to. Um, and there's also very specific sites for certain conversations you know there's a certain location where the community come to to talk and, and engage there's other locations for other kind of meetings and conversations so you know in a place like that it is very scripted it's like you've got to stick to the boundaries um and mm. you want to engage with folks that's how you you got to understand that yeah that's right those those sort of local cultural norms yeah and you know, not everyone like yeah. I'm I'm an outsider in most right. places, and you are, and we all are in different places right. we travel to. But that engagement with folks that are actually from there, and those yeah. conversations to understand and get guidance from right. them on on what's appropriate or what works, and and right. how to engage is is important. Right, that's right. We're the outsiders. We don't know. Um, and, and, and we have to do a lot of listening and asking questions and that's, that's, that's a best practice. Yeah. Yeah. And listening is a very important skill, I think. So, so what, what, what gets you most excited about Uplift? Uh, again, a hard question. Cause there's a lot, we're doing a lot of different things and it's all very exciting. Um, it's yeah, but, um, I don't know if I, if I had to pick one or two things, I would say w one is just engaging with 
with folks in the regions to tell their story and bring that story uh, to others that want to come and experience it. Like kind of packaging that together, working with with folks to figure out what that story and what that experience is, and then um, making those connections ultimately once once we're there. Like that that process of kind of cr- creation and then storytelling, I think is a is is amazing and it it really help enables people to um yeah from everywhere from outside from inside the community to really engage talk and and interact and understand each other and and ultimately benefit from you know in the in the regions benefit from those travelers that want to come and experience these different places and people yeah, yeah. And then through that storytelling, you know, it fosters this, uh, this inter- other type of interaction between visitors and, and our local residents. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the strongest things I think tourism has globally is it, it kind of cuts down barriers, ultimately. Like we, we understand people and places much better once we've actually been there, interacted with, with people, learned from, from others. Um, and that process breaks down those barriers and really helps people understand each other. And that we're not all the same, but we have mm-hmm. most of the time we have very, you know, whatever it is, 80% of our ourselves, are, there's commonality there. Whereas mm-hmm. the, rather than focusing on that 20% that might be different, the mm-hmm. 80% is often very similar. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Well, okay. So you made a reference earlier, which is not true. You said that we were both old, which I'm not going to hold against you, but, um, <laughs> 30... <Older. laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. Um, so, but 30 years from now, when we truly are, uh, older, um, uh, well, you know, and you look back at uplift, right? It's 30 years from now, you're looking back at uplift. What, what do you think you're going to be most proud of, or what do you hope to be most proud of? Hmm. Um, it's kind of quite a bit like the impact. And I know that that's very general, but um, if we can look back 30 years from now and say in each of the regions we've been working in, the impact for folks living in those regions, economic, you know, social and sustainable and the, environmental in terms of the protecting the landscapes where where everyone lives um if we can measure that impact and say okay we we helped and it's not us doing it obviously we're we're just in a way facilitators and connectors but um collectively it's a you know a better world essentially that we've helped to to bring forward um that will make me smile in my old age. Um, nice. you no, know, I think that that kind of overall, if, if we can say, okay, there was a true in- economic impact, people, more people came, there was a economic impact, people had jobs and better incomes from that. Um, the interactions between regions and folks was was strengthened. And then that landscapes, those rural landscapes were were protected or enhanced in some way or another, then I think that, and we can measure it and show it. And that is, is, uh, yeah, that'll make me smile in my dotage. 
<laughs> totage. Um, yeah, yeah, I, lo I, I love that. Um, I get some questions sometimes about the longevity of uplift and mm -hmm. um and and what we hope to um what what we hope to like have happen and and you know and, and well the questions are framed sort of like well what what happens when uplift ends and mm -hmm. and and my answer is well nothing um when uplift you know our our job if we do it well is to work to support communities and there they will go on that you know before uplift they they were doing amazing work they will go on to do amazing work and we were just sort of there for a, a brief period of time um offering some support that that they you know want um and we and we very much you know don't want to do anything in communities that that's not wanted um so you know what happens when uplift ends nothing uh the community goes on and continues to work on ec economic development and quality of life and, and make it a wonderful place to to live yeah actually i would say the the opposite in a way oh, okay. that nothing it does not that nothing happens everything happens in, in terms of it keeps going right it just right uh, right <laughs> right the, yeah the um yeah, and uh, uplift is really designed as a kind of facilitating process—not uh, process, but a facilitating program. Right? We we help to lend a hand, uh, make connections, provide some additional um, professional development, knowledge, etc. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe that lasts longer than the current three years the program is is planned for, and there's other places or other needs or other um, areas where that we can address mo moving forward but yeah you know, it doesn't all collapse when when uplift just isn't around anymore it, we're we're there to um strengthen and it all keeps going after that well circling back to you um living beside the hippo house <laughs> um, uh, your dad was the uh, director of the North Carolina Zoo for for some years, and um, um, my hope is that he will be on the podcast in in a future episode. Um, but but it but keeping the North Carolina Zoo out of this, what <laughs> is your favorite attraction in North Carolina? Oh, no, you just. <laughs> <laughs> Can't use it. Can't do the zoo. Okay. Can't do the zoo. Nope. Well, I have, can I, I'm going to be a little bit selfish nope. and, and self-centered, I guess. Here. Okay. No, that's cool. Um, Cause I, I do like, there's lots of attractions. I love North Carolina and all the different things. And I think that's a great draw of North Carolina is that you can do a lot of different things in the whole state, but mm -hmm. I live North of Raleigh. I live around the the falls lake area and i love to be able to essentially walk out my door and be at almost not quite but walk out my door and get into pretty pristine you know woods and lake and water and nature without um a whole lot of hassle or having to travel very far so um i my favorite attraction I would say is my backyard where I can get out and actually, mm -hmm. uh, not my backyard, but mm -hmm. protected lands, um, nice. and hike and walk and, 
experience nature. Nice, nice. N the nature escape. Yes, the nature escape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Simon, I this this sounds so funny to say. I will have you back on the podcast again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, thanks, thanks so much for agreeing to do this uh, early episode. Um, we are excited about all the interesting people we have talked to so far, and we just keep uh, getting lots of bookings for uh, future episodes. So appreciate you and Kofi uh, being a part of the early episodes. And we're, we got to get Hessa on here. We got to get her on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we will sign off now, but thanks again, Simon Jones, um, CEO of Naturescapes and part of the Uplift Leadership Team. Thank you. It was, it was fun. That's all we have today on Interactions and Attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 04790789 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the U.S. Department of Commerce.